Thank you, worship team. Kids, you are now dismissed and you may be seated, but as you are sitting down, please say hello to the person next to you. It is uh, always good to worship in the house of the Lord together. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, we are continuing in our series. Uh, if you remember, we've been doing a series of mini-series. We've been talking about story, and that's the overarching large theme that we've been looking at as we have been looking at the stories of Old Testament heroes walking through their lives and learning lessons that their lives teach us. And we are in the story of Elijah, looking at his narrative and gleaning the lessons that we are to learn for today from his life. Because all of Scripture is God-breathed. None of Scripture is on accident. There's not just this thing, oh, well, sorry I put that in there. I know it doesn't mean anything. That's not the way God rolls. He puts it in there on purpose and has a purpose for us to glean for not just knowledge, but for life transformation, where the Bible is constantly living and breathing into our everyday life. So let us pray and ask the Lord for Him to do that this morning in our hearts and lives. Father, we thank You for the Scriptures, Your Holy Word that we lift up high, that You have proclaimed through the power of the Holy Spirit and that as Jesus said, we can recognize and understand what these words mean for us through the empowerment and the indwelling Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that you will utilize your word this morning to bring transformation, not just information. May we seek to know how we are to apply this in our lives, not just know it for our minds. We thank you for all that you will do, all that you have done and all that you are doing. In your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. As uh, Pastor Mike had mentioned, idolatry is one of those things that we can often think we don't have in our hearts. We look at the Old Testament and we see these statues and we see these wooden things made or these rocks or these people that are worshipped. And we say, wow, we don't do that in our lives. We don't build stones and chisel them into the image of something and, and worship it and bow down to it. We don't have an idol problem, but we really do. Even in our society, you can see around, we have an idolatry, idolatry problem because as humans, we are prone to worship someone or something. I don't care if you are a, a Christian or an atheist. There is something that we are worshiping always. With an atheist, it might be their intellect, their mind. They are putting it up as the king of their castle, and we can tend to do the same thing. Whether it's the almighty dollar or a statue of a person that we go and take pictures with, thumbs up and smile to, or it could be someone that we have lifted up higher than others, especially Jesus, where we say that person, that place, or that thing owns my heart. Now the reality is this, God is the only one who deserves that part of our life. God is the only one. Jesus should be the only king of our castle. The only one who sits upon the throne of our lives and of our hearts should be Jesus himself. 
And we see that Israel had an idolatry problem. We're going to look at the story of Elijah and we'll see how he wages war against the false gods. We must wage war against the weak false gods that seek to capture our hearts as well. We must wage war against them. These false gods or these idols that come up into our lives, they should not be allowed to reign. They should not be allowed to speak into our lives. But often we don't even recognize that they are there. We can so easily just go with the flow. We can so easily bow our hearts, give our money, spend our time on things that are not the king of kings. And so we must look at this story as well and say, how can we fight the false gods of today? How can we fight the false gods of today? And we're going to be looking at 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 21 through 40. I'm going to break it up as we look at these specific points, but let me give you a little bit of background to where we find ourselves. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, the Lord told uh, Elijah to go before King Ahab and Jezebel, a horrible demonic woman who was controlling her husband as the king. And he said, go and declare that there will be a drought for three years. And he goes and does that. Immediately after, the Lord says, go to Cherith, I will provide for you. And he does. And after the brook dries up, he says, go to Zarephath, and there's a widow who will care for you. And he does. And then after three years of being with, or two and a half years of being in Zarephath with this widow, God calls him to go and confront the god Baal. The god Baal was Jezebel's hero, Jezebel's king, Jezebel's demonic lord that she encouraged Ahab and all of the people to worship. So much so that she had 450 priests who would develop these high places of worship to Baal. And Elijah and the Lord had enough. And so in this narrative, we will see how to fight false gods, not just the false god of Baal, but the false gods that show up in our lives today. I believe he gives us six battle tactics Right, we're going to talk about battle tactics because this is war. This is not some simple thing. It's not something that we can just take lightly. When we talk about the false gods of our world, of our hearts, of our culture, this is war. It is not just a weak thing. Six battle tactics of fighting false gods. And the first tactic is the tactic of decision. We need to decide to dedicate all our worship, all your worship, to the Lord. Decide to dedicate all your worship to the Lord. Look at what we see in 1 Kings 18, verse 21, and then we'll read Revelation 3 as well. It says this, And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Revelation 3, 15 through 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Elijah is speaking to the people of Israel. 
They are waffling between the Lord, the King of Kings, and Baal. Some of them have gone all the way over and are worshiping Baal. Some are on the fence saying, is God God or is Baal God? Which one? I don't know. I don't want to die if I worship the Lord of Israel, but I don't want to do this. And so there's this, this indecision that they are making. And I think sometimes we come to the same place in our lives where we're on indecision. Is God God today or is the dollar God? Or what's, what's really going to be king of my heart today? And Elijah is saying to the people of Israel, it is time to decide. This has to end. You can no longer waffle between one or the other because this indecision is not good. You are not worshiping fully anything. And he says, if the Lord is Lord, then worship the Lord. If Baal is the Lord, then worship Baal. Follow him if that's what you discover as true. And this is throwing up bait for what's going to happen in a moment. House, the prophet, he says this. He says, the prophet challenges the people to stop limping. Passa, translated waver, between two opinions to decide who is God and then act on that decision. Decide, make a decision. Move or don't move. There is no middle ground. It reminds me of Yoda. Try, there is no try, right? And I'll quote exactly what he said. Do or do not. There is no try. It's, it's one or the other. You can't try to worship the Lord. You do or you don't. There is no middle ground. And this is an important thing for us today. We need to decide to make the Lord Lord of all. To dedicate all of our worship to Him. I love what uh, Chuck Swindoll says in his book on, the, on Elijah. He said, divided allegiance is as wrong as open idolatry. We might say, I don't have open idolatry. I don't go and bow down to something. I don't worship something with song that is not the Lord. But you have divided allegiance, where your allegiance is to God and something. There is no and something. I don't care what the and something is in your life. There is no God and. It is Jesus, Jesus only. And I think that we forget that because we always add a lot of ands at the end of that. God and, Jesus and, Jesus plus, but there is no plus. It is Jesus and Jesus alone because divided allegiance is just as bad as open idolatry. And sometimes that divided allegiance does expose an idolatry we have in our hearts that we're not willing to speak aloud. We're not willing to admit. We must recognize this. This is what Elijah was trying to get the people of Israel to notice and to see. So the first tactic of battle, fighting false gods, is decision. The second tactic is the tactic of testing. Do not fear putting false gods to the test. They will always fail. We don't have to be afraid of these false gods. We don't have to be afraid of putting these idols to the test. He was saying, listen, follow God if he's God, follow Baal if he's God. You have to make a decision. But he was setting up the stage for a test 
of the gods to show who really was the Lord. He was not afraid to put this test out there. Let us read the passage. And let me just tell you, this is one of the funniest passages in all of Scripture. And I'll explain why. Because I'll give you the Marv Hebrew translation of this in a moment. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put it on the fi- no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bowl that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered, and no one paid attention. You see, here Elijah, right after he tells the people of Israel, choose. He's like, I'm going to make it really, really easy for you guys to choose. And here's what we're going to do. Baal and the Lord are going to be put to the test. Who will ignite the bull? Who will make this bull sacrifice to them? And the one that does, he is God. Now, you must recognize that we talked about last week that Baal was the storm god. Baal was the one who controlled the skies and the water and the rain, and that's why God was attacking the rain, causing a drought for three years. If he is the storm god, the god of lightning, he should be able to make a fire really quickly. This was one of those, like, I'm going to make it super easy for everyone to detect that he is a false god. Because the thing that they say he can do, he's not going to be able to do. In fact, one commentator says, As storm god, Baal was thought to be responsible for lightning as well as rain, so this should be an easy contest. To the people who are there, this would be a simple thing for Baal to do. It would not be difficult if this really is the type of god he is. That is why the people that are there, they say, Huh, that's a really good idea, Elijah. I like it. Right? Yeah. Because the Lord of hosts is the Lord of all things. He's not the Lord of specifically lightning. So, oh, this is going to be a good test for Elijah. (laughs) Baal's got this in the bag. So the prophets are all excited about this. 450 of these guys. And he even says, you choose the bull. I don't need to choose the bull. You take care of it. You go ahead and pick it. And we'll see what happens. And we see what happens. Elijah after watching this spectacle for a couple of hours, begins to mock them. And here is the Marv translation of Hebrew. I thought he was a god. Where is he now then? 
Is he just thinking about coming? Is he pooping for a long time? Is he away from his desk right now? Maybe he's sleeping. Now, American translators to English do not like to translate the word relieving in Hebrew to pooping. But the Jews have no problem with it. If you look at their commentaries, they, they let you know what's really happening. Elijah is making a huge joke. He is loudly declaring, your God is so weak. Is he, what's going on with this dude, right? I mean, you say that he listens to you. You say that he's the God of lightning. And here you are dancing around and limping and doing all kinds of crazy things. And he's not even here. So he must be doing something else. What's taking all of his time? Why isn't he here? I mean, could you imagine? There's 450 guys running around doing this weird thing. And he's just sitting there making fun of them. I love this part of the story. Maybe it's because I'm still a middle schooler at heart. But I love it. Because it shows this. The Lord laughs at the power of the world's false gods. I mean, anything that you could put above the Lord and say this is the most important thing, I think God giggles. Because it's like, really? Like that little tiny thing? Money, that piece of paper, your, your job, your prestige, your status, that human being, <laughs> you have no idea. I think he laughs because Elijah laughed. Elijah was, was laughing at this moment. And I think all of the Israelites were wondering, what, how can he be so brave to laugh at this? Baal, these guys could just turn on him and kill him right now. And he's laughing at them. He was not afraid. He was not afraid to test this enemy. He was not afraid to mock the God who had no power. But too often we're afraid to put these things to the test. Too often we're afraid, well, maybe God won't win this battle. Maybe if, if this happens, God won't win. And God laughs at the power of the false gods that are in our world. Elijah wanted people to see this event. Which brings about tactic three. The third tactic is the tactic of witness. Bring along witnesses to see the failure of the world's false gods. If you see at the beginning of this passage, Elijah was like, hey, gather as many people as you can. Gather them all. I want everyone in Israel to see how silly Baal really is. I want you to bring as many people. I'm not afraid. Bring everybody. Let's have them watch this test. Let's have them experience this really silly moment. I want hundreds of people to listen to my jokes about their God. I mean, it's the first comedian act we see in the Bible. He wanted people to see and hear and, and really experience the fallacy of following this false God. And so he gathered people. Even different priests. He wanted all the priests to be there. He didn't just want the Baal priests. He wanted the Asherah priests as well. Saying, hey, you guys are building up all these little poles to Asherah. Come on, hang out, chill. Watch how God shows up. And he was not afraid to test and bring witnesses. Warren Wiersbe reminds us his purpose was not only to expose the false god Baal, but also to bring the compromising people back to the Lord. Because if he can display the true power and the true weakness, the true power of God and the true weakness of Baal, some hearts would turn back to the Lord. 
Elijah was not all about making fun of Ahab and Jezebel, that was part of it. His heart was the same as God's heart. Turn back to the Lord. Turn back to the Lord. When we bring witnesses and we do this testing of our false gods in our world, the goal is for people to turn back to the Lord. We see people so many times walking away from the Lord, believing that the false gods that they have in their life are powerful, or people who don't even look at God or Jesus as Lord because they believe that these false gods of whatever it is that they're following, that's what it was true power, true, has true power. But if we walk alongside them and say, let's test this, let's see if the Lord shows up or if your mighty dollar shows up. I mean, we're in a weird time in society when it comes to money. Inflation is really high. Gas prices are ridiculous. I mean, they're not as bad as they were a couple, you know, months ago. But we're in a really interesting time. And I think that God is going to use that to purge our worship of our dollar. We could either embrace it and say, yep, come on, Lord, challenge me. Challenge my God. Or we can get really upset and frustrated and not walk close to the Lord. Our goal should be to be turned back to the Lord, turn others back to the Lord. These false gods have no power. And one of the best ways to bring along witnesses to the, the power of the Lord, we talked about this last week, your testimony. How have you seen God in your life bring you out of horrible situations where God proved himself because he does time and time and time again your testimony has power your testimony shows in your life how God has shown up so talk about your story tell the wondrous nature of God in your life the fourth tactic we see is the tactic of repairing we need to seek to repair and restore that which the enemy has sought to rip down. Seek to repair and restore that which the enemy has sought to rip down. Continuing on in 1 Kings 18, 30-32, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed, which is a big trench. He says, gather again. I want everyone to watch what I'm about to do. Don't miss this moment. And those things, those altars to the Lord that Jezebel and Ahab allowed the, the prophets of Baal to tear down and to build an altar to Baal above it, he repairs it. He says, listen, <laughs> what you tried to break down, the Lord will rebuild. What you have tried to destroy can never remain destroyed. Look at the power of my God. He wanted people to see the historicity of what God had done with the 12 stones, reminding them, this is who you are. This is your Lord. Stop going after Baal. 
repairing that which the enemy sought to rip down? How does this apply to our lives? And I believe that there are places in your life that the enemy has totally ruined. That he has used people, that he has used pain, that he has used your past to tear down areas where you were believing for the, in the Lord and now they're broken. What are those areas in your life that the enemy has sought to tear down? What are those places in your life that he sought to tear down? We could say it another way that we have given ground to the enemy. That there are areas in our heart that we have allowed the enemy to take over. That we have allowed the enemy to be a part of. That we've just had him there with us. What are those areas? A couple that it could be is lust, ambitions, your own flesh. You could look at your marriage that you were excited about and dedicated to the Lord and the enemy has done some things that have broken your heart and that have caused you to grow bitter towards your spouse. Don't allow that to be ripped down. Allow the Lord to rebuild and repair and restore that which the enemy is seeking to hinder in your life. Allow him to rebuild and restore those areas Give them back to the Lord. Take the ground back from the enemy and take them back in the name of Jesus. If we're going to move forward in our lives, we have got to allow God to rebuild those altars, to take the ground back so the enemy cannot hinder our walk anymore. Elijah sought to rebuild and restore and repair the altar we too should do the same. Wearsby says this, but the altar had been destroyed probably by the prophets of Baal. So Elijah rebuilt it and sanctified it. By using 12 stones, he reaffirmed the spiritual unity of God's people in spite of their division. May we seek to remember and be reaffirmed in our spiritual unity with the Lord and with one another as believers, as the family of God, if we have repented and confessed of our sins and turned to Christ and believed His death and resurrection, we are a family. We can be united under the banner of Christ, and we can be united with the Lord. What has the enemy sought to rip down in your life? Don't allow him. Take back that ground. And these are areas where you have to wrestle with the Holy Spirit and say, where are those areas that need to be restored? Where are those areas that the enemy has sought to rip down the altar in my life to you, Lord? He loves to answer that question, to point out those areas that you've given the enemy ground to. Take it back in Jesus' name. The next tactic, the fifth tactic that we see is the tactic of prayer. We see in 1 Kings 18, 33-39 that prayer is vital to being victorious over false gods. Prayer is vital to being victorious over false gods. 1 Kings 18, 33-39 says this, 
And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Man, that is a scene. Could you imagine being there on that mountain? where you have seen Elijah mock and make fun of the prophets of Baal as they wandered around for hours singing all kinds of weird songs, dancing and cutting themselves, and just doing ridiculous things to try and get their God to hear them. And here Elijah has a two-sentence prayer. And immediately God shows up. And it's so important to capture that he didn't just burn the bowl. You see, Elijah was like, man, I believe in my God so much that I'm going to make it so difficult for a fire to be lit. Imagine trying to light a fire on top of a river. Just picture that for a second. Would it work? I know. So he's like, well, you know what? We're going to put this sacrifice on top of a river of water. We're going to just soak it, and we're going to have this trench all around it and just water everywhere. And God is still going to burn this offering. And not only does God burn the offering, it says that he burnt the stones, that he burnt the altar, he burnt the bull, he burnt the dust. I mean, that's a hot fire. That's not just like this little dinky stove fire that lit something and it happened over time. You know, it takes a long time. If you have an entire bowl, that's going to take a long time to cook. God cooked it like that. And he cooked it so good it was gone. Not even there. The dust, the stones, the water, all of it was gone. But it began with prayer. Elijah wanted the people to see that this has nothing to do with Elijah. It has everything to do with the Lord. That's why he said, may they know that I'm your servant, that I have done everything according to your word, that this is what you have told me to do and that I'm doing it, that I'm walking in obedience, but that this is your show. Lord, this is your show. Come on, show them who you are. They need to know, they need to see. And if you look at scripture, every time these heroes in the Bible are about to do something miraculous, They pray first. How often do we just do stuff in our life? How often do we just try and jump into action? How many times do we even say, oh, I'm going to do this for the Lord? But you don't pray, and you just do it. 
Prayer is, I think, one of the most neglected aspects of Christian faith. Because I don't think that we capture the full understanding of what prayer is. Too often we just say, Lord, bless it, amen. Lord, I pray for this person, this person, this person, amen. Lord, I pray for my meal, amen. Lord, I pray that you'll bless this Bible study time, amen. But prayer should be a passionate conversation with a person we love. A passionate conversation. Sometimes it's a plea. Sometimes it is just a pouring out of our heart to the one that we know loves us. I mean, could you imagine, right, your relationship with a spouse or your best friend, and all you do like every day is like, hey, I hope that you go to the store and get me milk, bread, and eggs. Amen. And then that's all the conversation you have with that person. Right? Even when you are laying down on the pillow and your pillow talk is like, wow, I'm so glad you took out the trash. Goodbye. Now, sadly, I know and recognize that some marriages are that weak and that anemic. But that is not the way that we were created to build relationship. But too often our prayers are weak and anemic, thanking God for the trash being taken out or asking for your list of groceries to be taken care of. That's not prayer. We need to spend intimate, passionate time crying out to the Lord, really, really getting to know Him and pouring out our heart to Him to be known and to know. Those are parts of our mission as a church as well. Prayer is vital to victory over the enemy. House says this prayer incorporates concern then for God's reputation, the validity of the prophet's work, and for the people's well-being. He prays for the people to turn back to the Lord. We see time and time again the importance of prayer. Swindoll, in his book on Elijah, says this, Our most effective tool is the prayer of faith. Our most effective tool is the prayer of faith. When it came down to the wire, when Baal had failed and God was about to do his work, the one instrument that Elijah employed was prayer. Elijah didn't bring a lighter. Elijah didn't bring gas. Elijah didn't bring anything. He only brought prayer. Do not neglect the good work of prayer. And finally, the sixth tactic that we see in fighting the false gods of today is the tactic of elimination. Eliminate all remnants of loyalty to the false god. Eliminate all remnants of loyalty to the false god. Look at uh, 1 Kings 18.40. And Elijah said to them, to the people that had just fallen on their face, he said, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape, and they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Wow. That seems intense. He, one man, slaughtered 450 guys with a sword. And you might be saying, that, what? Why would, you, why would God do that? Right? And that's, that's kind of a, an intense response to this whole moment. But these prophets of Baal represented the false god that would continuously lead his people astray. Baal worship was disgusting. These priests killed and maybe have eaten infants. 
These priests did nasty, disgusting things to worship their Baal god. They would do anything, even cutting themselves. These were guys that would cut off fingers and arms of themselves and other people in order to make Baal happy. And so for them to be slaughtered was to take them out from killing more babies, killing more people, slicing more people up in the name of a false god. And Elijah knew that these men would continue to bring this awful demonic type of stuff to Israel. He said it has to be eliminated. This is how we are to treat the false gods in our own life. These false gods that seek to take our hearts, that seek to take our, our minds in the throne of our souls away from the Lord, they need to be eliminated. Now, I'm not saying go and kill people with a sword. What I'm saying is that these things that take precedence over the Lord need to be taken out of your life. So maybe one of these things in your life is lust and you have a show that you watch a lot and it has some nudity in it and you know that your heart is consistently turned away from the Lord because of this show no matter how awesome the show is it needs to be eliminated from your life do you understand because if it's not you will continue to worship the almighty lust that is in your life you see, that's what I'm talking about, elimination. It might not be inherently bad in and of itself. The dollar is not in, inherently bad in and of itself. It is the worship of the dollar that is. And so if we are worshiping something that we know is hindering our relationship with God, we can't play willy-nilly with it saying, Oh, I'll do it now, and I won't do it. I'll do it now, and I won't do it. It needs to be dead, gone eliminated from our life my friends if we are really to walk in the power and the presence of the lord in our lives the false gods we worship must die they must die because we will continue to go back to them and go back to them and go back to them kill those things in your life eliminate them Take Elijah's stance on the prophets of Baal seriously for those things that would seek to take your heart from the Lord. If these prophets of Baal were allowed to live, Elijah knew that they would continue to go and turn the hearts of people away from God. We need to eliminate those things. I love what A.W. Tozer says. <laughs> he says this, He is either Lord of all, or Lord of nothing. That's not an easy quote to live with. I found it true in my life that those things that I allow to creep in, even if they're not bad in and of themselves, but I have a, a uh, tendency to go after it, I will. And it needs to be eliminated. He's either Lord of all or Lord of nothing. Elijah teaches us how to fight false gods. May we take up arms and use these six tactics to fight the false gods of today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for this story in the life of Elijah. 
Man, there's so much in his life that shows us how we are to live today. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fall fresh upon us. May we be people who are willing and ready to wage war against the false gods in our own lives and see you bring a victory as we sang about earlier. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.